Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're in Torah study number nine. Remember that? Number nine, number nine. And uh, we're looking forward to a great study uh, as we get into uh, the life of Joseph. That's uh, where we begin today in Genesis 37 through Genesis 40. Uh, We uh, get this extensive look into the life of Joseph. And uh, it begins on a high note. Uh, The scripture says... Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son of his old age and he made a richly embroidered robe, a coat of many colors. Uh, And so it starts out real nice in one verse, but after that, everything just does a complete 180, and all of a sudden, all the love and all the gifts that Joseph was receiving turns out to be his undoing. His brothers begin to hate him, not only because he was seen as a snitch, he also... Uh, had that coat of many colors. It was a sign of leadership in the family. Uh, And that uh, created a lot of jealousy because there's no way on God's green earth that his brothers are going to let the baby of the family uh, take the leadership reins. And so you couple all of that with Joseph's dreams, all right? All of a sudden, he begins boasting about what God showed him, about the dreams God gave him, and combined with the coat of many colors being a snitch, all of a sudden you have this toxic mix going on in the family because the family wasn't looking at Joseph's dreams as some godly, powerful prophecy, uh, they were looking at it, and he's about ready to do what, what Jacob did to Esau, steal the blessing. And they knew all too well the family history. So they were wrong about Joseph, even though Joseph was a little haughty in, in his young age, and he needed more humility. Uh, he wasn't malicious, uh, but that's not how the brothers saw it. Uh, the brothers perceive something totally different. Uh, and uh, the perception became the reality. How many of you ever heard that uh, concept? Perception is reality. Uh, perception is how someone interprets events and situations, how you perceive what's happening. It's the sum of your past experience. So a lot of the perception, a lot of our opinions, a lot of our attitudes are based on what happened to us in the past. And a lot of good things may have happened, and it can be a good perception. Uh, But I dare say we all grew up 
uh, 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 maybe not all of us, many of us grew up without Christ at the center of the family. And so there's a lot of dysfunction. And so a lot of our perceptions, even to this day, are built on negative opinions, negative situations, and it clouds and distorts your view of life. It's hard to lay hold of the promises of God because you're looking at things through a negative lens, a negative perception. And the worst thing that can happen is you don't even know it. You're just unconsciously incompetent of realizing this is uh, what's happening in my life. It's like uh, I always uh, say in, in uh, running Larry Huck Ministries, uh, it's not how fast you get the good news, it's how fast you get the bad news. Uh, because the sooner you get the bad news, the quicker you can change what's bad into something good. But if you're unaware of it, if you don't recognize it, if you just uh, are tuned out to all of that, then all of a sudden the mistakes, the issues, the problems, they keep repeating themselves and you become like the hamster on that little treadmill and you're just going nowhere fast. That's not the plan of God. Amen? And so we, we want to get past uh, basing everything on our feelings and opinions, especially uh, if you grew up uh, in a dysfunctional situation. And so, because you're, uh, how you interpret events, uh, it becomes a figment of your imagination. You're just imagining that. That's really not the truth. And uh, if you're not basing your life on truth, then all of a sudden you get into vain imaginations and wrong thinking. That's why Zig Ziglar said, we all come to Christ and we need a checkup from the neck up. Because we all got stinking thinking and our minds need to be renewed. And so that's, uh, that's why it's important for believers to study to show themselves approved, right? Well, the pastor does all the studying. Bad, bad philosophy. Well, it's all up to the pastor. Well, i got to wait until the traveling evangelist comes to town in order to get my breakthrough. Bad philosophy. God has prophets and evangelists and so on. But you have the Holy Spirit in you and you are primarily responsible for your salvation and your progress in the kingdom. Now thank God that He washes us with the water of the Word. Amen. Somebody said, well you go to that church where they brainwash you. Yeah. <laughs> Your brain, ma'am, probably needs some washing too. Wash away the lies. Wash away the untruths. Wash away the deceptions. Wash away uh, the misperceptions. It's called renewing the mind. Anyone object with renewing the mind? Okay, we have a basement under here with the renewing the mind chamber. Uh, just take a number and we'll get you started. 
Obviously, Joseph's brothers could have used a lot of brainwashing. Amen? Because the negative perceptions that they had of Joseph only grew worse. And that's what happens in our lives if we don't address bad thinking. Things only grow worse. Why are all these bad things happening to me? Go back to your thinking. Amen? And there's probably an open door in your thinking, and you're basing certain things on a worldly philosophy and not on the Word of God, and you can't get a breakthrough because there's no power in worldly thinking. Well, there's demonic power, but there's not Holy Ghost wonder-working power in worldly thinking. And so Joseph's brothers grew worse to the point that they plot to kill Joseph and finally decide to sell Joseph as a slave. Now that's pretty depraved, right? This is happening in a family uh, where the family tree is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, and yet Uh, all the sons of Jacob are acting like uh, they're right out of the devil's camp. And it's at this point where Judah, Yehuda, enters the story. And what happens here is so important with Judah because the Messiah is at stake. You had to be, according to prophecy, a member of the tribe of Judah if you were going to be the Messiah. And this dates back to a prophecy in, uh, that Jacob gives uh, to Judah in Genesis 49. In Genesis 49.10, uh, one of the great Old Testament prophecies Uh, And it says that the staff shall not depart from Judah, nor the scepter from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. A reference to the Messiah. And of course, we believe as Christians that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. And according to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus did come from the Davidic line. Uh, He was part of the tribe of Judah. Amen? And uh, uh, in fact, uh, when you get all the way to the back of the book, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 5.5, it speaks to the authority and the power of Judah when it says, One of the elders said to me, Don't cry! Look! The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has won the right to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so Judah plays a big role. And what's happening here is that the enemy is trying to steal his destiny through misperception, misunderstanding, through jealousy, through hate, through all of these negative things, he's, his destiny is hanging in the balance. And instead of being a messianic figure, he's a demonic figure. 
And it's pointed out by the very first words that we see Judah say in the Bible in Genesis 37. You can go over there in verse 26. Genesis 37, 26, Judah says to his brothers, What advantage is it to us if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites instead of putting him to death with our own hands. Oh, what a nice guy. How thoughtful and considerate. Let's not just kill, let's send him, uh, let's sell him into slavery and send him away to a foreign country never to be heard of again. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh. Oh, nice, nice to have family like that. Can you, you know, I'm going to, we're going to be family. It's a lot easier to be family once you take the knife out of my neck. It says his brothers paid attention, listened to him. So you could see right there that Judah had a calling on his life, a leadership calling, because even the older brothers fell in line. Well, if Judah says it, it must be fine. And the whole thing, when you think about it, is pretty shocking. Yet in the end, we're going to see that what the enemy means for evil, God turns around and uses it for His glory. Amen? Amen. Judah's story ends up getting turned upside down. He ends up repenting of some pretty evil stuff. He was forgiven. He was redeemed. He was transformed. How many of you have been redeemed? How many of you have been forgiven? How many of you have been transformed? Merry Christmas! (laughs) Can't buy that from Amazon. Amen. Unfortunately, as we're going to see, Judah needs to hit rock bottom. I know something about hitting rock bottom. Anybody been at that place called Rock Bottom? I've been there. Everybody's Rock Bottom is different, but it's it uh, whether it's your Rock Bottom or mine, it's all ugly. And thank God we have a Savior. Thank God He doesn't abandon somebody who's descending further and further and further into darkness. And God will use Rock Bottom. All of a sudden, when you hit rock bottom, you suddenly got ears to hear. (laughs) But in order for uh, Judah to hit rock bottom, uh, he pushes it through a series of bizarre episodes. A lot of weird stuff has to take place. So after they sell Joseph into slavery... They have to inform Jacob of Joseph's disappearance. What happened to Joseph? And so, led by Judah, they concoct an alibi. And they dip that coat of many colors into the blood of a slaughtered goat. And they say to their father, we found this. Where's Joseph? Well, we found this. Do you recognize it? Key phrase, we'll get more of that in just a bit. 
Do you recognize it? Is it your son's coat? What a devilish plan. And according to ancient Jewish wisdom, it's Judah that does the dirty deed. He's the one that leads the way in deceiving uh, his father about Joseph's fate. And isn't it interesting that Judah deceives Jacob with a coat of an animal skin just like he deceives his father Isaac years ago to steal the blessing from from Esau. Sounds like a family curse. Sounds like something that needed to be addressed but never got fully addressed so that family curse got passed down instead of a family blessing. Your job as a believer is to recognize what are the cycles in my family that are sinful and evil and destructive and they keep repeating themselves and then you begin to go into spiritual warfare. Satan, the blood of Jesus, is against you on this thing. We bind and break the power of this family curse. We apply forgiveness to this family curse. We pray for a breakthrough from this family curse. And uh, you begin to lather, rinse, and repeat. Is this helping anybody? Judah never accounted for some things. He didn't recognize some things in his life. He asked his dad, you recognize this? He didn't recognize some things. He was uh, not very self-aware. That's a very big danger for a person, to be unaware of yourself. You don't know who you are and how you behave and what's going on uh, with you and the world, your family, your marriage, your kids, your grandkids. Therefore, you don't know how to pray. Because if you don't make any mistakes, there's nothing to correct. And Judah didn't account for the fact that the same destructive spirit that uh, turned on Joseph turned on him. You can call it sowing and reaping. right? Reaping what you sow. Because right here is when Judah's brothers remove him from leadership. They hold Judah responsible after they're sitting there watching their their daddy tore up with grief and sorrow over the death of Joseph. And they actually say, you told us to sell him. Had you advised us to send him back to our father, we would have listened. So it's amazing how your partners in crime will turn on you in a heartbeat. So they say all of this, and you can obviously put yourself in that and realize, man, that must have been a heavy scene. So in Genesis 38, verse 1, 
it says it was at that time that Judah departed, went down in the Hebrew. Judah went down from his brothers. And that is a truth both physically and spiritually. That whole scenario led Judah who's supposed to be the tribe of Judah, the Lion of Judah, supposed to be passing on generational blessings, he's passing on generational curses. And he goes down, all right. It's uh, referring to his spiritual decline. And uh, he ends up settling... In a pagan part, uh, it wasn't really Israel at that time. It was Canaan. And so he settles in an area between Hebron and Bethlehem. And it's a pagan area at that time. And it was this going down, this descending into further darkness that brought about a bunch of pagan associations. See, you can run from the plan of the Lord and you can try to find friends in all the wrong places and think they're going to help you out of the abyss. Uh, It's the blind leading the blind. And it was because of these decisions that his wife and his sons died, tragically. So he brought about seemingly the death of Joseph and now death visits his doorstep. And his sons and wife tragically die. You know, at that point, you might expect that this would have brought Judah to his senses. I've done many a funeral. And you would think that when the family is going through a funeral and a beloved one is now deceased and gone on to be with the Lord, that any issues, any arguments, any strife, any division in the family could be set aside and that love would rule the day. Look, I'm willing to put aside all of that. Look, our fathers died, our sisters died, whoever has gone on to be with the Lord, now's not the time to carry a grudge and look for revenge. But I've seen all too often people just sit there and they hold on to hate. You might have expected Judah to come to his senses and show a little empathy while mourning the death of his family. You might expect him to relate a little bit to the pain that he caused Jacob. It's not unreasonable to think that at a time like this that he'd admit his guilt, go back to his father and say, Dad, i got to tell you something. But he was anything but humble. He was anything but remorseful. In fact, he gets into even more deceit. How many of you know if you don't take care of one devil, believe me, he's got friends, and that one devil is going to bring seven more devils with him, and your life is even going to be more miserable. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Not that you would uh, resemble that remark. (laughs) 
It's just a reminder that people trapped in sin and deception are oblivious to the truth. They're blinded and can't see. That's where your prayers are so important. Praying and binding the darkness, binding the devil, rebuking those lying spirits, those familiar spirits. So it's another irony here is that while Joseph is descending from his place with the family uh, down into Potiphar's house and then into the, uh, well, actually first the pit, then to Potiphar and then into prison, Judah's doing the same thing. Judah's in a spiral himself. But there is a difference. And the difference is that Joseph remains faithful. Joseph learned some lessons real quick. And Judah, he's about as far away from God as one can get. He's like the prodigal son. He's not learning any lessons except he is experiencing the ironclad law of sowing and reaping. It's being played out right before his very eyes. Well, what do you mean? So what you sow is what you get. Do not be deceived, the Bible says. God will not be mocked. That and only that will you reap what you sow. So we need to be on the right side of that. And that can start today. (laughs) That just starts by uh, burying the hatchet, sharing some love, Say unto the Lord, I'm making some changes today. Do some Holy Ghost heart surgery in me today, Lord. I'm ready and willing as a spiritual patient, and God will do a quick work. It says that God gives more grace to the humble. God gives more grace. That means there's different levels of grace one can experience. How many of you want to experience more grace? Then be humble. Recognize some things. Be aware of some things. Amen? And so this is where Tamar enters the story. She's Judah's daughter-in-law. And ancient Jewish wisdom says she's a uh, from the genealogy of Shem, Noah's son, who was renowned for his Torah study. And then, look, I can't explain all of this. It's so bizarre. It's really mysterious. Uh, this law, these laws of the Leveret marriage, where. Uh, a family member, a, a, a wife of a previous family, marries the next in the family. Uh, don't, don't ask me to get into all of that. It's crazy. Lord, <laughs> that, I don't know what you were thinking there, but that's crazy. But she, Tamar, becomes the mother of Judah's children and becomes part of the Messianic line. I don't know, uh, did, did Tamar somehow understand her divine destiny to become a part of the, the, uh, Davidic, or the, the Davidic line? Did she look at Judah and realize, 
Uh, he's part of, he's meant to be part of the Davidic line, the Messianic line. Uh, so somehow she takes destiny into her own hands. And she, bizarre, but it's in there. She disguises herself as a harlot, a prostitute, and gets Judah to sleep with her. Dear Lord, not every part of the Bible is PG, is it? (laughs) And during this outlandish encounter, Judah promises to pay her, of all things, with all things, a goat. And this is that principle of a family curse at work. And actually, ancient Jewish literature says it this way, And God said to Judah, You deceived your father with a goat. By your life, Tamar will deceive you with a goat. If we do something stupid, not just an innocent mistake, but I'm talking about something stupid. What goes around comes around. And very often the same mistake that we commit will come back around in a form that affects us. Where have I seen this happen before? Oh, I started that way back when and never repented of it, never bound the devil over it, never asked the Lord to forgive me of it. I just went on with my life and thought that all was forgotten. Have we lost the power of confession in the church? Have we lost the power of we need to say we're sorry when we sin? We need to go to the Lord in humility and go to the Lord and cleanse my heart over this thing, Lord. And look, if if it turns out to be a seven times 70 thing, that's okay. (laughs) Because God said that as long as you're willing to come back to me, uh, I'll forgive you how many times? Seven times 70. To infinity and beyond. So, Judah pledges to pay her with a goat, but doesn't have the goat at the time. So he leaves Tamar a signet ring, his robe, and a staff. I don't know how that's less valuable than a goat, but it is. But then something wild happens three months later it's discovered that Tamar is pregnant. And the community, even a pagan community, doesn't like the idea that Tamar is pregnant without a husband. And so she's judged guilty of immorality. And she's sentenced to death. And she's sentenced to death by none other than Judah himself. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't even recognize how evil he is, but he's willing to judge someone else's sin and put someone else to death. But, dude, your sins are worse than hers. 
That's the old saying, we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. We're always lenient with ourselves, and we're always harsh when it comes to others. That's what's at play here. But see, what Judah doesn't realize is that Tamar still has the collateral. And she presents the collateral at this kangaroo court. And it says it in Genesis 38, as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law saying, I am pregnant by the man to whom these things belong. And then she said something that was said a long time ago. Do you recognize these? Recognize these, Judah? Those are the same words that Judah said to Jacob when he was uh, uh, deceiving him over Joseph's life. Recognize this coat of many colors filled with blood? Do you recognize who these are? The seal, the cords, the staff. Her words, do you recognize these? Not a coincidence. Because he has to undo some things that were done in the past. And I dare say all of us need to realize if we're still experiencing a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of problems, a lot of issues revolving around this, that, or the other thing, we need to go back in time with the help of a Holy Ghost DeLorean and find out where did this thing start? And how do I look at that thing and bind that thing, ask for forgiveness over that thing, and settle that issue once and for all so I can be set free? Oh, come on, somebody. When he hears these words, it must have jolted him. It must have been like a lightning bolt of truth hit him. And Tamar is on trial, but all of a sudden the spotlight shifts to Judah. Now he's the one that's being held accountable. And God is using the situation to allow Judah the opportunity to fess up. Fess up! I was reading some material by our dear friend Rabbi Lappin. And he's teaching that God will frequently send unmistakable signs and allow circumstances to transpire to help us see that the ordeal that we're undergoing is the result of an earlier mistake that we made. And and Christians aren't being taught to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I repent. God, cleanse me of this unrighteousness. Father, I have sinned. And He's such a good God. In that spirit, what does He do? He brings forgiveness. 
He brings redemption. He brings restoration. And yet we're doing what Judah does. We're leaving the family and we're running away from God instead of doing what Joseph did and run to God. It's only by being open to repentance that we can ever move forward. Forgiveness and repentance is a critical part of the gospel. And we take sin nowadays as, oh, no big deal. Oh, sorry, bye. Sorry I hurt you and devastated your life. Hope you get over it. See you later. How flippant we can sometimes be. And we wonder why we can't get a breakthrough. We wonder why we're the same person we were three years ago. And there's no progress being made. There's no extra spiritual power manifesting. There's no sense of overcoming. There's no sense of victory and triumph over the issues of life because we're still chained to problems that we won't address. And that's Judah's problem. And now... He hears these words, do you recognize these? Not a coincidence. Here's his opportunity. So right now is a moment of truth. There's a crossroads. All of us have those moments. Your crossroads and your moment of truth is different than mine. No one's got identical circumstances. Everybody's got to address things their own way. Uh, you got stuff from your past that maybe I don't fully understand, but you serve a God that understands. And if you'll come to Him and cast your cares and cast your sin and open your heart and say, Father, forgive me. I just lost my mind. I'm so sorry. Put repentance in my heart. Put forgiveness in my heart. Help me to be empathetic to the people that I've hurt. Help me to move forward in my spiritual life. I bind the devil. I ask for forgiveness of sin and Father I break every family curse and I hope that moving forward Father this thing is behind me once and for all and it's at that moment of truth that you defines himself he comes to his senses like the prodigal son in the pig pen he comes to his senses and he confesses in uh, genesis 38:26 she is more righteous than i she is more righteous than i in other words she's telling the truth i've been deceiving everybody over all of this she is more righteous than i And it's interesting because ancient Jewish wisdom teaches that Judah thought something at this very moment. And it's written, he thought that it's better for me to be ashamed in this transient world than to be ashamed before my righteous fathers in the world to come. It would be better for me to own up to my mistakes and confess my sins in this world than stand before the judgment seat of Christ with unconfessed sin and be ashamed at that moment. 
Is this helping anybody? Are you, are you following this train of thought? And when he does this, you are more, she is more righteous than I, all of a sudden uh, God uh, uh, releases a flow of forgiveness, a flow of redemption, a flow of restoration that turns Judah's destiny around. He's down to as far as you can get. He's so far down, he's lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. I don't know why I thought of that. But it was that destiny hanging in the balance, not just for his individual life, but for Israel's national destiny and even for the coming of the Messiah. And from this point on, Judah's life has changed. You know, sometimes things happen, there's like a divine moment. May we recognize a divine moment when God is stirring the waters, where the Spirit of the Lord is moving on your heart to make a choice, to make a decision. And that can happen anywhere. It might be happening now. It might happen during praise and worship. It might happen on the drive home. It might happen in the fourth quarter when the Cowboys are kicking a field goal to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. In other words, it could happen at any God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, a sensitive heart to know what you're asking of me, how you want me to respond to a certain situation. And in that moment, man, your life will change. Judah's life becomes symbolic of the work of the Messiah. Salvation. Deliverance, forgiveness, restoration, transformation. All of these things are part of the process, the journey that you and I are on. If you think going to the altar call and praying at the altar call is the end of it all, somebody taught you wrong. That's just the first step of a thousand and one more steps. Ten thousand and one more steps. So one of the key revelations in Judah's life and in this series of events is linked to this phrase, recognize this. Will Judah recognize his sin? Will he recognize his need to change? Because it's the ability to recognize, to admit, and to acknowledge our mistakes and our shortcomings that leads us not only into salvation, but into deliverance, being set free. What a bummer it would be to pledge your allegiance to the Lamb, but never be set free. That's the difference between success and failure. And look, it can take a couple years. It took Judah a couple years. He had to keep going back to the school of hard knocks for a couple years. Before all of his breakthrough happened, he had to go to the school of hard knocks. 
That's why they say, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. If you think that studying the Word of God is tough, try being without it and live your life successfully. But praise God, he finally learned some lessons. Amen? Amen. How many of you could say before God today, you've learned some good lessons about how to conduct your life? So here's a couple lessons. You've probably learned them so you can pass them along. Recognize your mistakes, number one. Recognize you miss it. I miss it. We miss it. And we need to make some changes. In, in James 5.16, the Bible commands to confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you would be healed, that you would be delivered from that thing. The word confess means to declare, to say out loud, to exclaim, to divulge, to blurt out. And the word false describes a person who has fallen, someone who's failed, errored. They've made some kind of mistake. So God is showing us that confession is the way to freedom. But if we hold on to our sins and keep those things a secret, then they're going to keep us locked up. But God is saying if you will recognize what's going on, and confess those things, that all the power that the devil has been holding over you, all of a sudden that will dissipate and you will be set free. Amen? Number two, recognize you need a Savior. Hallelujah! Do you still need a Savior today? Or has He done all the saving He'll ever do in your life? (laughs) Thank God through Judah's life, God's showing us that there's no sin so great, no failure so great in your life that amazing grace can't cover it all. Praise God. You know, perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. We might see that at the stadium tonight. But verse 17 is just as powerful. Verse 17, John 3, 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, I mean, but that the world through Him might be saved. Amen? That's the very essence of the Messiah and His mission, and that's what God wanted to restore in Judah. You're a leader, Judah. More is expected of you. You've got to show the family how to live the right way. You've got to be able to prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah. We need redemption flowing out of you. Forgiveness flowing out of you. We need restoration flowing out of you. Amen? And it did. Praise God. Finally, recognize that God has a good plan for your life. Amen? And live like it. Live with the joy of the Lord. 
Live with the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding you. He's divinely ordering your steps. He's working in your heart. The Word of God is washing your soul and cleansing your life. The power of the blood, the power of the Word, the power of the cross, the power of the Spirit of God. And then all of a sudden you begin to recognize, I have a divine purpose. I'm not the man I used to be. I'm blood washed. I'm forgiven. I'm set free. I can move on with my life. Amen. Amen. Praise God. The more you interact with the Word and the Spirit, the more you fellowship with like-minded believers, the more light comes into your life. And the less darkness dominates. Amen? And that's kind of what Hanukkah is all about. In a postscript to the story, and we'll wrap this up real quick, ancient wisdom says that Judah and Tamar had this bizarre physical union during the High Holy Days. But it was during Hanukkah that the whole truth was revealed. Hanukkah is called the Feast of Dedication and also the Festival of Lights. And it's this exact season in Judah's life that all of his actions come to light and he recognizes his need to get right with God and he rededicates himself to serving the Lord. She is more righteous than I. It's better for me to confess my sin now than to be ashamed when I get to the world to come and have to face my fathers with unconfessed sin. And so he owns up to his mistakes. Amen. And praise God, God accepted that all as repentance and he released forgiveness and there was that restoration and rededication that's happening and now he could go on with a clean slate, a clean heart and his, he could go on to accomplish his mission in life. Amen. And so it's no coincidence we cover this every year about this same time that no matter how dark it might seem out there, God has amazing grace. God has seven times 70 worth of forgiveness. He'll never reject us. He'll never cast us out. He'll love us and bring, him, bring us back into a great relationship because of His amazing grace and miracle power. Do you believe that today? If you believe that and receive that, give the Lord a praise. Amen. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. And go Cowboys!